Iraq's authorities have ordered life in Baghdad to come to a halt. When I was at NPR, one of my assignments was to cover the war in Iraq. I was there in 2008. ...and difficult. As NPR's Dina Templerastin reports from Baghdad, there is rampant intimidation... Of and back then, if you wanted to get a pass to go into that little city within a city behind blast walls, known as Baghdad's Green Zone... The name is ironic, given that the complex is monochromatic. You had to give the U.S. Army your biometrics. Iris scans, fingerprints, photographs, the whole nine yards. And what I remember about it all is that I didn't have a choice. In order to do my job, in order to get into that part of Baghdad and interview members of the interim government, I had to give up information about myself. Did they enroll you using a device, a handheld device? Yes. Yes, that was most likely the BATS toolkit. Jackie Singh served in Iraq. She was there around the same time I was. Right, when you are in a fog of war, being able to distinguish between friend or foe seems like the most important thing you can do. Who are those officials at the gate now? Is this the same local who was working here yesterday? At that time, there were suicide bombings almost every day. So I can see that people needed to know who was who. Having the biometric data would help us make sense of that. But I couldn't help thinking. All this information they were gathering about me would never go away. They would have this essence of me in some database, well, forever. Fast forward 14 years, and surveillance technology is on a whole different level. Now there are systems that can take a single frame from surveillance camera footage, isolate the face, and in very short order, tell us exactly who it is. I'm Dina Templerastin, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, we talk to people in Ukraine using a facial recognition program called Clearview AI, have a rare interview with the CEO of the company, and ask a bigger question. Is introducing this powerful technology into a war zone a good idea? War zones are testing grounds for tech all the time, aren't they? I agree. So what makes this different? Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Clearview AI makes a groundbreaking facial recognition app. It allows users to take a picture of someone, upload it to its database, and match it to a publicly identified photo. In just seconds, it puts a name to a face. And now Clearview AI is in Ukraine. Uh, and originally I would see uh, photos of captured Russian soldiers. And I realized with that kind of quality of photo, our facial recognition technology could be helpful. Juan Tontad is the founder and chief executive officer of Clearview. 
and he gave us a rare interview. So I reached out to a lot of people on our advisory board to ask them and, you know, investors, whoever it was, is, do you know anyone in the Ukrainian government? Turns out a member of their advisory board was leaving for Ukraine the very next day, and Ton Tat gave him a letter to take with him. It wasn't so much a pitch as a list of what Ton Tat thought Clearview AI might be able to do to help the war effort. Things like identifying suspects who were caught by surveillance cameras committing crimes or identifying spies at the border. Didn't hear back for a while, but we kept trying every single avenue. Um, and then we got an email in our inbox saying, with a few questions about the facial recognition technology. A Ukrainian defense official was interested, he said. And Clearview ended up offering its subscription service to Ukrainian investigators for free. Which has been controversial because Clearview AI has been under fire for the way it built its database in the first place. It scraped some 20 billion images from social networks and other online sources from all over the world. And it did that without asking the websites or the people in the photographs for consent. That's why big tech companies like Google and Facebook have demanded Clearview cease and desist, and why individual states, even countries like Britain and Italy, have filed lawsuits to make them stop. Clearview argues the pictures are already public, so the data collection is protected by the First Amendment, which is an argument that might wash in the U.S., but doesn't account for all those photos the company has collected elsewhere. And that's just the beginning. Clearview hopes to have ingested 100 billion images within a year. So if you do the math, that's almost 13 photographs for every person on Earth. And now, six agencies and some 400 Ukrainian investigators have logins for the service. We thought that it can be used to you know, identify if someone is who they say they are, uh, along with potentially reuniting families or with refugee situations. And Ukraine has found uses for Clearview that have surprised even Ton Tat, like identifying bodies on the battlefield. The deceased soldiers part, of, you know, we thought it was possible, but to actually see it in reality, uh, some of the photos are very gruesome, but it is something that changes the dynamics of war. Can you tell me, have you ever used facial recognition software before? Yes. And is it fast? Yes, it's just seconds. It depends on the quality of the picture and depends on the... Uh, Ukraine has a department of national police, and the head of their IT is a guy named Leonid Timchenko. M-C-H-E-N-K-O. Timchenko. He says Clearview AI is helping his team in lots of ways. In addition to helping them put names to Russians who might have been looting or killing civilians, he's been using it to identify the war dead, which is harder than it sounds. While sometimes the dead have papers or dog tags or some kind of identification, in this conflict, a lot of them do not. Their uniforms are curiously without rank or insignia or name. Timchenko says Clearview has been helping them with that since March. We, we see very good results in recognizing even dead bodies, which is actually very good because, as you can imagine, uh, speaking about uh, dead soldiers, it's not always when when they have uh, like pretty face, let's say. You mean that part of the face may be damaged somehow? Yes, exactly. In a war that has been awash in misinformation, Timchenko says Clearview is helping ground the conflict in truth, and in some cases, brutal truths. And yes, I have to ask you if you are. Uh, if it is okay to show such kind of damaged uh, faces. Yes, 
Nobody will see it. This will just be us. What What about you? Uh, you can show me a damaged face. I've been I've been a war correspondent, so I'm okay. Okay, one one moment. So I will... on his screen was a photograph of a Russian soldier. He was dusty and twisted, wedged into a gully as if killed in the act of ducking for cover. There was no obvious identification on his uniform. We took a photo of his face from from this photo and uh, put it to the Clearview AI tool. And there were actually no direct results, but there were 19 additional results. Maybe it's... The app surfaced photographs, it thought, could be a match. Think of it as the AI saying, here are some options the algorithm isn't sure about. I need a human to take a look. A human like Timchenko. So uh, searching another 19 results, uh, I was managed to, to identify the person with the social network Adnoklasniki. It's like classmates uh, translate into English. Searching his photos, I managed to get information that he's uh, a military person. He's a soldier of Russian army, and his name is Nikolai Kirkin. He looks very different in the picture because he doesn't have a mustache and things uh, if, like that. Yes, there, there is no mustache, and maybe these pictures, they are from, let's say, two, three, maybe even more years so this is this person. And you can compare if you will take two pictures together. Timchenko showed me the pictures side by side. So you, you will see that uh, actually it's, it's the same person. They did look like the same person. A fresh, cleanly shaven young man in one picture, the twisted figure in the other. Having an accounting of these people is important for all kinds of reasons, from getting accurate casualty figures to gathering evidence of war crimes. Timchenko says his unit has identified about 5,000 people since March, people like Russian soldiers who appear to have looted Ukrainian homes. A surveillance camera at a local post office caught them shipping washing machines and other big-ticket items back to Russia. Now other branches of Ukrainian law enforcement are clamoring for their own accounts. It's also cyber police. It's also Department of Criminal Analysis. Our investigators, they also use this technology. They have accounts from, from Clearview. And we hope we will able to provide free accounts to our petrol police. And then there's this thing I hadn't thought about until he mentioned it. While most facial recognition systems rely on recognizing people with their eyes open, Clearview can identify people even if their eyes are closed. For example, it's impossible to unblock a cell phone if your eyes are closed. So Clearview is able to identify people with a damaged face, people who have their eyes closed. Which just gives you an idea of how far facial recognition technology has come. Just about a decade ago, top-of-the-line facial recognition software scores for accuracy were like 70%, and it freaked us out. Science fiction almost got it right. Face recognition technology has become part of daily life. But here's the deal. The feature will use a facial recognition program, which will scan pictures, video that are posted to Facebook to identify the people in that crazy picture from last weekend's beach party. It's all happening, of course, on Facebook, which has been quietly using... Facebook was an early adopter with photo tagging back in 2011, but the system was rudimentary. Essentially, which one of these people is your friend? Police started using it to sort through mugshots a year or two later, but accuracy and racial bias were huge problems. 
Then, in 2018 and 2019, artificial intelligence and something called neural networks just changed everything. The easiest way to understand neural networks is to think of them as a series of algorithms that recognize underlying relationships between things, kind of like the human brain does. I'd say now in 2022, uh, all the top performing algorithms ranked by NIST have, you know, almost no demographic bias and are much more accurate than the human eye. They can pick, you know, a photo out of 12 million. That's what NIST is testing. NIST, that's the National Institute of Standards and Technology. It's part of the Department of Commerce and evaluates various technologies and provides an independent assessment and then sets standards. And this seems to be saying that facial recognition wasn't the stuff of science fiction anymore. It's arrived. When we come back, when new technologies are misused. It comes down to intentions being divorced from second and third order effects. You can collect data and you can label people with the best of intentions, but... Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. So let, let's start with an easy one. Could you introduce yourself to us, please? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was supposed no, to be an easy no, let me, one. Let me, let me start over. And so, so I, what, I, what I did over here is I have... Jackie Singh is a former Iraq veteran who joined the military when she was just 17. So I signed my name on the dotted line. And because I was 17, my mom had to sign for me as well. She was part of the early 2000s underground hacking scene, hanging out with people from a hacker collective you may have heard of, 2600. They put out a magazine once a quarter, and we would have meetings once a month where kids and adults and all different types of people from different walks of life would meet at a mall and chat about all the latest ways to get some uh, free items from a vending machine or get free calls from a payphone or, you know, this silly... Remember gray hat hacker Adrian Lamo? He was one of 2600's early leaders. I have no formal education. Um, I dropped out of high school the day after I turned 16. I was uh, spending all my time in the hacker halfway house in Brooklyn. <laughs> then, when she was in Iraq, first as a member of the military and then later as a military contractor, she saw military surveillance firsthand. Uh, surveillance operations in a war zone are ubiquitous. We're talking about drones. We're talking about uh, aerostat blimps which were these very large suspended blimps up in the air that were tethered to the ground. So when you were in Iraq, did you feel like this technology was being used in the right way? I never had any reservations. These days, Jackie Singh has come full circle. Now she works for a nonprofit advocating against facial recognition and mass surveillance. And she says data collection has just gone too far. I have never been involved in a data collection effort where the conversation was anything other than how do we get more data? It's never about the ethics of it. It's never about should we? We can do these things, but should we? And the answer is absolutely always yes. And even if the people collecting all this data are doing all this for the right reasons, sooner or later, the information falls into the hands of someone who uses it in a way that wasn't intended. And this isn't just hypothetical. 
It's already happened in Ukraine. So that's a crazy video from the Ukrainian IT army, a kind of quasi-government-backed group of international hackers. The video feels like something straight out of Mr. Robot, only Ukrainian. They've leaked Russian documents or cracked into Russian television, all in a bid to try to reach the Russian public and tell them the truth about the war. And that video? It looks like Clearview AI is in it. It shows a computer screen loading up a photo of a dead Russian soldier into what looks like the Clearview program. And then, very quickly, it identifies him. The voice in the video is unveiling a new IT army initiative. They decided to call Russian families directly to tell them their kids had died in the war. And then they'd send them photographic proof. Not in a nice way, but in a demoralizing way. Timchenko said it wasn't his guys and doesn't have an explanation for how this could have happened. Uh, such volunteers, what they are doing, they are um, somehow they manage to identify cell phones and uh, personal numbers, phone numbers of their relatives, and they call in them. They send pictures of the dead to family or post it on Telegram. And they, like, admit it. They are trying to pretend that they are Russian officers. And they provide an information that, uh, you know, your son was dead. Uh, I don't know if it, if it is really correct. It's not my part of job and it's not uh, something which I would like to do. But m- maybe it's uh, another possibility to provide a real picture of what is going on here in Ukraine. But we don't use Clearview AI to, to make such things. We've reached out numerous times to the IT army, asking them to explain how they got their hands on what looks like a Clearview search. We didn't get a response. Look, if I thought it would be used in a really bad way, then I don't think that, you know, have access, give access to them. When we asked Ton Tat, he said that, quote, the speculation that the IT army is running a Clearview AI search does not match any information we have. We asked him later if he thought it might be a spoof search, and he didn't respond. Whatever happened, whether Clearview or someone else explicitly gave access to the IT army, is a little beside the point. An unauthorized person appears to be using the database for an unintended purpose. Tontat said a lot of this was beyond his control. What we can control as Clearview is, you know, giving access to the right people. A lot of these agencies and investigators have their own, you know, procedures. And so I can't speak to exactly how they, you know, deploy everything and all that stuff. But they, they have assured me that they want to make sure that it's done in the right and humane way. The problem is that assurances really don't amount to much. Procedures don't either. Critics say facial recognition is an unregulated space. And if you put something like that in a war zone, bad things are bound to happen. After all, it's war. It must be tremendously hard to think about every way someone could use something that you meant for good, mm-hmm. could turn it on its head for bad. Yeah, I something we take think about all the time, right? Uh, but I, when we started Clearview, we were really thinking of the use cases first. And I think that's our philosophy is you can always make technology, but let's focus on the best use case and the highest purpose of something. Which may be a little naive, because it isn't just the all-volunteer IT army that's reaching out to Russian families. Last week, the head of Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation said that his team was sending photos to families too. 
partly to tell them the truth about the war, and partly to tell them if they wanted to pick up the bodies, they could come to Ukraine. Timchenko says he doesn't know of any police investigators abusing their Clearview access, but he said he wasn't really looking for it either. To tell the truth, I didn't have such kind of uh, goal, maybe, to, to check uh, as an administrator. I don't know. I think maybe there is a possibility to use it in some kind of incorrect way. But so far, we are, we are focusing only on uh, war crimes. And uh, we didn't spend much time checking what our guys are doing. Timchenko is focused on his job, and it's hard to blame him. The Ukrainian prosecutor general has logged more than 10,700 war crimes since the war began. Ukraine marks the first major conflict in which we've seen facial recognition technology deployed on such a grand scale. And it arrived without a procurement process or any real oversight. Jackie Singh says the fact that Clearview has provided all this for free masks what the company has to gain. This could further normalize facial recognition because... They're making it ubiquitous. And we just crossed the 20,000 search mark. So they're actively using it. It's about two months now. Singh, for her part, worries about the things we haven't had the space to imagine yet. So when you're providing a technology to a battlefield in the middle of a war zone, you're introducing additional instability and insecurity to a country that hasn't had this technology, that doesn't have a real process or procedure for, for using it. She says we should see Clearview in Ukraine for what it is. We're looking at a defense contractor that is essentially um, widening its sphere of influence. That's all they're really doing. Last week, Clearview AI agreed to permanently stop selling access to its database to private businesses or individuals around the U.S. It was part of a settlement agreement with the ACLU in the state of Illinois. The settlement still needs to be approved by a judge, but it will limit what Clearview can do with its ever-growing trove of images. Clearview has also agreed to stop making the database available to Illinois state government and local police departments for five years. Ton Tot told us it could be a template for other state suits the company is facing. And he seems sanguine about it all. He says this is how technologies mature. So like any new technology, I say like the automobile, for example, when they invented the car, there were no lanes, there were no you know, traffic lights and no seatbelts. And those things all came over time. And that's the life cycle of technology. Something's invented, people have to figure out what it's good for, what it's bad for. And then a period of adoption where people start using it and then a period of regulation. But unlike, say, a car, in this case, this technology sweeps up intimate details from all of us without our knowing. It could be my iris scans from Iraq, your wedding pictures in Paris, or the snapshots from the company Picnic posted on Facebook. Leonid Timchenko says a lot of his officers want their own Clearview logins. And we have so, so, so many requests for this. And he's already asked for more. This is Click Here. Here are some of the big cyber and intelligence stories from the past week. The U.S. and E.U. say that the cyber attack that took down satellite communications in Ukraine hours before the February 24th invasion was the work of the Russian government. While government officials blame Moscow for the hack, they stopped short of saying publicly which arm of the Russian government was behind it. 
American officials speaking on the condition of anonymity said it was Russian military intelligence, the GRU, the same group responsible for the 2016 hack of the Democratic National Committee. The Revil, or Our Evil Ransomware Group, may be back. In January, Russia's Federal Security Service rounded up more than a dozen of the gang's members and said it was cracking down on ransomware actors. Cyber threat analysts figured it would be the end of Revil, at least in its current form. But three weeks ago, researchers discovered that Revil's ransomware servers were back up and running, and the group's blog is also back. Stay tuned. And finally, while the commencement at Lincoln College seemed to be like any other this spring. As today's commencement ceremony is a traditional academic ritual, I strongly encourage... This year, the graduation at Lincoln, which serves a large Black and Latino student body, was tinged with sadness. The 157-year-old school in central Illinois is closing its doors forever in the wake of a crippling ransomware attack during the winter break. School officials said the breach didn't cause the school to close, but it added a death blow to an institution that was already struggling with dwindling enrollment amid a pandemic. The school's small endowment couldn't make up for the losses. Iranian hackers are thought to have been behind the attack. Today's episode was produced by Will Jarvis and Sean Powers, and it was edited by Lou Olkowski, with fact-checking from Darren Ancrum. Ben Levingston composed our theme and original music for the episode, and we had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Click Here is a production of The Record Media, and we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. And you can connect with us at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.